Hey, thank you for making us a part of your day and welcome to The Quest. It's always good to have you with us, especially if you're just checking us out. If you are checking us out, we want to encourage you to scan the QR code that's right there. That QR code will pop up a link. That link will help answer some of the questions that you might have about who we are as a church. It'll also allow you the opportunity to connect with us if that's something that you want to do and need to do. We would love to connect with you, pray with you, and encourage you in any way that we can. We also want to remind everyone that this talk is available in podcast form. All you have to do is scan Fresno Quest Church on any of the podcast platforms. Listen, before we get into the talk, how about if we pray together, if you'd close your eyes, if that's possible, where you're at. Heavenly Father, we love you so much and just thank you for this day. I thank you for each person that's listening. I don't know what's going on in their lives, but I know that you know what's going on in their lives. I know that you're with them. Father, I know that you've been speaking to them and I know that you are encouraging them. Father, I pray that you would meet the deepest needs of their lives today. Father, I ask that you would give them faith for the difficulties that they find themselves in. Father, give their strength, give them courage to face all that they face, knowing that you're with them, that you go before them, that you protect them. Father, I just pray today that in the talk, and I ask that as we go through this subject, that you would open our hearts and that you would allow us to hear, that you would protect us from anything that would create barriers and prevent us from listening to what you're saying to us personally. Father, we ask that you would just speak into our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are wrapping up a series that we've been in entitled Restoration. And I don't know about you, but for a lot of people, I know we were talking about this in our connection group, there's some that are excited that this series is over because it's been a tough series. I mean, nobody really wants to talk about purity and holiness. Nobody wants to talk about loving those that hate us. Nobody really wants to talk about having a greater passion for God. It, it, listen, restoration is not an easy process. Restoration is a surrendering process, so it makes it difficult for us to come to terms with ourselves and surrender ourselves to God so that He can do in us what He wants to do. As we look at this restoration process and what God wants to restore and how God restores our lives, listen, our current perspective is sometimes it's easier and less painful to stay stuck and where we're at. Sometimes the healing process is a difficult process. We don't want to look at the neglected areas of our lives because it exposes the weaknesses of our lives. But then again, that's the kind of thinking that got us in the situation that we're in, right? A fill-in for your notes is this. If we're ever going to allow God to restore our lives, we have to recognize the need in our life. It means allowing God to take an honest look at our lives. I don't know if you've done that lately. Not saying it's easy, I'm just saying it's necessary. David writes this in Psalms 139. He says, Investigate my life, O God, and find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. And then guide me on the road to eternal life. That brings up another important point you can write down, and that's this. A restored life is an examined life. In other words, we're allowing God to investigate our lives. We're, we're paying attention ourselves, but we're asking God to pay attention. We're asking God to look for what is broken, what is stuck, what isn't working. Listen, you can allow God to examine your life because we know this, that He cares about us and He values us. As we've been going through this series of restoration, the definition of restoration that we've been looking at is this. Restoration is the act of returning something to a former condition, its original condition. God wants to heal the neglected areas of our lives. Those areas of our lives that have been useless, He wants to make them useful again. Those areas of our lives that have been broken, He wants to make them whole. 
If we're honest, we all have areas of our lives that have been neglected and need to be healed. We all have areas of our lives we need God to restore. We need God to bring us back to our original condition, the condition that he created us to be, a condition of wholeness. But here's the challenge, and we've mentioned this every week. The longer we allow areas of our lives to be neglected, the less faith we have that God actually can restore them. It's more an issue of feeling like, you know, I've tried that before, or I've, I've asked God for that before, and it's never happened, so we give up in the process. The longer an area of our life has been unattended to, the less we feel anything can really be done about it. I mean, this is true in our marriages, finances, faith, the lifestyles that we've chosen to live. What we end up doing is giving up hope. Scripture tells us this, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Don't miss the process in that promise. God is in the restoring business. He wants to restore our lives, and He is actively doing that every single day. We tend to look at restoration in our lives as a huge project. It's too hard. It's too big. It's too long of a process for us to make it through. We tend to forget that what God is here is actually what can free us from here. And what I mean by that is this. One decision can destroy your life, while one decision can restore your life. And here's a feeling you want to write down. The decision to keep an area of our lives from God is reversed with the decision to give our lives completely to God. Not partially to God, but completely to God. I'm not saying it's easy, but I am saying it's simple. And there is hope for a restored life. So as we wrap up this series, I want to look at this one other area. We need a restored commitment to God. Now, I realize that this is a difficult subject and also a sensitive subject, and I want to handle it delicately, and I want to be careful. When I say that, I'm saying I don't want it to become legalistic. I don't want it to be these rules that we have to follow, thinking that we're going to get God's approval if we follow these rules. When I say I want to be careful with this subject matter, I'm not saying I'm apologizing for what I'm going to say. I'm not saying that I'm going to lower the standard. I'm not saying I'm going to water down what I'm about to say to you to make it more palatable. I really do want to look at what the Bible says about commitment, what Jesus says about commitment. Why is it so important in our lives? How do we apply this to our lives? I don't want to dance around the subject. I want to address the subject so that we can live a God-defined life and not a self-defined life. Here's what I do know. The enemy wants you to hear my words and to become offended. He wants you to feel judged, and he wants you to hear what I'm saying and for you to come to the conclusion that it is impossible for you to do what we're talking about today. Do me a favor today and guard your heart. Don't let the enemy close your heart to what God is saying to you today. All right, with that said, let's just jump right into this and look at why is our commitment to God such an important thing? You can write this down. We only value what we're committed to. Honestly, the lack of commitment to something in our life only reveals how unimportant it is to us. And this applies to every area of our lives. It's our marriage, our health, our thoughts, our friendship, spiritual growth, our connection with God. If there's no commitment to these things, it's because they're unimportant things to us. Here's another fill-in for your notes, and that's this. What we value reveals the priorities of our heart. You can't say that your health is important to you, but you never take time to exercise. You can't say that your health is important, but you don't watch your diet. Your values in life create priorities for your life. What you value in your life becomes so important to you that it becomes what you prioritize in your day. It becomes valued activity in your life. 
Listen to this scripture. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. The devotion of your heart establishes the values of your lives. The action of your life reveals your commitments. And your heart can only commit to one. The second will always become a competitor that undermines the first. Priorities in our lives are always fighting each other for first place. So let's look at a few ways we can define what commitment actually is. The first one is this. Commitment means the absence of a divided loyalty. A dedication to a singular cause. It's removing anything that competes with my devotion to what I've committed to. It applies to every area of our lives. Our marriages, our relationships, spiritually. The commitments of our lives continually deal with the divided loyalty. Here's another definition. Commitment means staying loyal to what you said you were going to do long after the mood you set it in left you. Your loyalty is tested in the absence of feelings. Loyalty is tested in the absence of motivation. The devotion of your life is always tested to strengthen the commitments in your life. Here's another definition. Commitment means doing whatever it takes to see my promise through. It's making sacrifices that are necessary to fulfill my promises. It's establishing boundaries from the very start that are not permissible, that will not support the promises that I've made. It's establishing boundaries that are not okay. In our marriage, Cynthia and I established a boundary from the very start, and that was divorce was never an option. It was something that we never talked about. It was something that was never allowed on the table. No matter how difficult the relationship got, no matter how hard circumstances are, divorce was only an option because of infidelity, because somebody was unfaithful. The commitments in our lives have to be so important that we're willing to do whatever it takes to see it through. We need that same kind of boundary, that same kind of commitment in our spiritual lives as well. The only way we walk away from Jesus is if God is unfaithful. And here's the thing, God is never unfaithful. So quitting is never an option. Commitment says, come hell or high water, I'm going to see this through. Commitment says, no matter how I feel, I'm trusting God. When you know that God is good, when you know that God has great things in store for you, when you are waiting on God, when you are standing on the promises of God in your life, and you're still not feeling hope in your life, when you've lost more than you've wanted to lose, like Job says in his commitment, though God slay me, yet will I trust him. That's a statement of commitment. Listen, I know that the times that we live in are tough. I know that the times we live in are scary. I know that you're tired. I know that there are times that you don't feel like going to church. You don't feel like getting into a connection group. You don't feel like serving. But listen, I want you to write this point down because this is so important for our commitments. And that's this. Commitment tells my feelings to fall in line because my decision has already been made. When we make a commitment to God, it's based on a decision that we've made to God. The decisions of our lives become the commitments of our lives. It's like Joshua said to God's people in the Old Testament. He said, decide for yourselves who you're going to serve. He said, but listen to this, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. That's commitment. It doesn't matter what other people do. This is what I'm doing. Listen, we are in a growing and developing process of being restored by God. And our commitment should be growing and developing as well. But we tend to struggle with our commitments. And some of the reasons I think we struggle with commitments are this. The first one is we're not fully convinced about God. We might say things like, I know that Dave says that God is good, but I'm not sure that God is always good. 
we're not fully convinced. We might even say things like, I know that that's what God said, but I'm not sure that God really meant that. And what we do is we create our own theology about God rather than discovering who God says he actually is. We may know what the scripture says, but we're not convinced that it's applicable to our lives. So what we do is we get direction for our lives from people in our lives, from the culture that we live in, from many different sources. Listen to the scripture. It says this, Be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty. The lack of commitment is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Faith is putting our beliefs into action, and faith is being convinced that what God says is actually true, that he means it, and we're going to apply it to our life. Where we put our faith in life, who we put our faith in, establishes the durability and the strength of our life. So if we want our commitment to increase, write this down, we increase our commitment when we take steps of faith. What is God leading you to do? What is God asking you to do? What is he asking you to stop doing? Is God saying to you, listen, you've been playing the field long enough, it's time for you to put your faith in me? Is your step of faith a step of obedience to God? Is your step of faith to allow God to be the authority of your life? Is your step of faith maybe becoming baptized in water? It's something that you've drug your feet. It's something that you felt like, ah, I don't know if I really need to do that. Is your step of faith giving? Is your step of faith serving? Is your step of faith being faithful to church? Again, I'm not trying to be legalistic. What I'm saying is what is God asking you to do? Because the step that you're unwilling to take is what's preventing you from being committed to God. It's affecting your commitment to God. Another reason we struggle with commitment is this. We're not fully secure in God. We're not exclusive with God. How's that? We still want to fit into the world. We still want to fit in with our friends. We still allow the opinions of others to shape us. It's really more important for us to fit in than to stand out. We don't want to be vulnerable with God and stand out with God. Jesus addressed this when he said this, If any of you are embarrassed over me and the way that I'm leading you when you get around your fickle and unfocused friends, know that you'll be an even greater embarrassment to the Son of Man when he arrives in all the splendor of God, his Father, with an army of holy angels. Who do you try to fit in with? Who is the audience that you seek approval from? Is it from the world or is it from God? Our commitment is always directed to the one that we seek approval from. The one that we desire to please. And if you want to increase your commitment, then write this down. We increase our commitment when we prioritize pleasing God. When we make pleasing God the number one priority in our life, when we make God the audience that we live for rather than our friends, our commitment to God increases. Here's another reason I think that we tend to struggle with commitment. That's this. We're not fully surrendered to God. We still want some independence. We still want to do some of the things that we want to do. We're willing to give God 80% of our lives, maybe 90% even, but we still try to keep that 10%, that area of our lives that we're not willing to give up. There's some things we haven't given up. There's some things we don't want to give up. I'll let you read it on your own. It's found in Luke chapter 9. But Jesus has an encounter with two guys, and he asks them to follow him. And these guys are on board. They're saying, sure thing. We're on it. We're in it. And we're with you. But first... Let us do these different things that they, they had excuses. Both of them had things they wanted to do before they followed Jesus. They couldn't fully surrender. Jesus told his disciples this. 
He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So if we're going to increase our commitment, then write this down. We increase our commitment when we're fully surrendered to God. When we hold nothing back from God. When we are all in with God. Here's another reason we tend to struggle with commitments. That's this. We're not fully prepared. And when I say that we're not fully prepared, here's what I mean. The desire is there. We felt the emotion of Jesus calling us to follow him, but we haven't really counted the cost. We haven't assessed what is required of us to follow Jesus. And we haven't accepted the cost that is required of us to follow Jesus. Jesus tells a story about this very issue when he says this. He says, is there anyone here who planning to build a new house doesn't first sit down and figure the cost so you'll know if you can complete it? If you only get the foundation laid and then run out of money, you're going to look pretty foolish. Everyone passing by will poke fun at you. He started something he couldn't finish. Can you imagine a king going into battle against another king without first deciding whether it is possible with his 10,000 troops to face the 20,000 troops of the other? And if he decides he can't, won't he send an emissary and work out a truce? At some point, we've got to assess the cost of what it means to follow Jesus because there is a cost to following Jesus. Scripture says that it will cost you everything. And we have to decide if we are willing to surrender everything, to commit our lives to Jesus and follow him. At some point, we have to decide what our life is about. Is it about me or is it about God? Listen to scripture. Paul talks about this very issue and you can hear his commitment. I love the scripture in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says this, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen, the cost of following Jesus is that we have to die to our desires every single day. We can't live for our desires and God's desires. We can't live with a commitment to God and have divided loyalty. So if we're going to increase our commitment, write this down. We increase our commitment when we die to ourselves. It's not about what's in it for me. It's about God, I live for you. The life I live is about you. It's not about me any longer. I don't live for my agenda, God. I live for your agenda. We need to understand that a completely committed life to God is the goal of every Christ follower. And we need God to restore in us a heart that is completely His. We need God to restore a heart that is completely committed and devoted to Him. Jesus pulled no punches when it came to commitment. This is nothing that He danced around or apologized for. And this is why Jesus said commitment is so important. You could write this down. What Jesus knew is no one can follow Jesus and face the demands in life, the distractions in life, and the difficulties of life with divided loyalty. Absolutely no one. The divided loyalty of our life is going to weaken our life. In fact, what Jesus understood is that a compromised life, a compromised heart, produces a weak life. Listen to how Jesus addresses this when large crowds are following him. He says this in Luke. One day, large groups of people were walking along with him, and Jesus turned and he told them, Anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, can't be my disciple. Anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me can't be my disciple. He goes on to say later, simply put, 
If you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. There's no dancing around this subject. Jesus says, if you're in, you're fully in. And if we're going to be fully in, then we've got to make some choices. We've got to establish some principles in our lives. And I'm going to look at it this way. You can write these down quickly. First, we've got to establish the priority of our commitment. Where does Jesus fit into your life? Who's the most important person in your life? When Jesus says that we've got to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, and sisters, even our own life, he's saying there can't be any relationship that is more important than our relationship with him. What is the priority of your commitment? I want to encourage you to bring the priority of your commitment to God up to the very top where it belongs. Here's something else we need to establish, and that is we need to establish the plan for your commitment. In other words, I'm going to die to my feelings, my desires, my wants. I'm going to eliminate anything in my life that competes with my passion in life, my passion for God. I choose to follow Jesus regardless of what my feelings are. I choose to follow Jesus regardless of what the circumstances bring. Another establishment is this. I need to establish the purpose of my commitment. When I choose to follow Jesus, I change my citizenship. I don't live for my wants and my plans and my desires. I live for the one who died for me. We live for the purpose of Jesus who died for us. He reestablishes the purpose of our lives when we commit our lives to him. And I've got to commit myself to his purpose. That's what Paul did when he established the purpose of his life in Philippians 1. He says this, for me to live is Christ. In other words, the purpose of my life is not about me. The purpose of my life is about Jesus and his kingdom. So the question is, is that a statement that you can make? Is that a statement that defines your life? Listen, our commitment to God is the structure for our devotion to God. Our commitment to God reflects our love for God. Following Jesus is not self-willed. It's about a surrendered will. So we have to ask, are we willing to leave everything to follow Jesus? Are we willing to leave everything to follow a broke rabbi who has nothing to offer by the world's standard? Because when we give up everything the world has to offer, we gain what the world cannot offer. Purpose, peace, healing, joy, love, life, and life abundantly. I want to pray with you and I want to pray for you. And listen, I don't know where you're at in your life, and I don't know if you've ever made a commitment to God. I don't know if you've ever surrendered yourself to God, but this is the time to do it. This is not about having everything together. This is about surrendering who you are and about the purpose of your life so far and saying, God, my life has always been about me, but I'm making my life about you. I'm making you the priority of my life. No longer am I living out for number one. No longer am I the center of my life. You are now the purpose in the center of my life. And it's going to be a process of you constantly putting God first in your life. And you're going to fail and you're going to succeed. But God is with you in the process of prioritizing Him. God is with you as you commit your life to Him and as you grow in that commitment with Him. Allow God to restore a new commitment in your life. And maybe you've already stepped into relationship with God through Jesus. But listen, maybe your commitment to God has kind of weakened. I want to encourage you to allow God to strengthen and restore that commitment where He's the priority in your life, that there's no relationship in your life that's more important than God, that you're willing to die to yourself and your desires 
on a daily basis so that you can live for God and his desires in your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you and Father, thank you because you are committed to us. You are all in. You love us beyond our wildest imagination. And Father, for those that are listening and those that are stepping into this relationship who have never stepped in to trust you, who have never given themselves to you, Father, as they talk to you and as they surrender themselves and ask you to be the center of their life, the priority of their life, Father, I ask that you would help them. And I ask that you would strengthen them and encourage them, direct them. Father, help them and help all of us to take steps of faith that strengthen our commitment. Father, help us to set our agendas and our desires aside. Help us to eliminate our desires so that we can focus on your desires for our lives. Father, we live in a very troubled time, as you know, and we need this commitment. We cannot afford to live with divided loyalty because it will undermine our relationship with you. Father, we commit ourselves wholly to you, completely to you. Father, we want you to be the most important person in our life and the most important priority of our lives. Father, we establish that in our hearts. Help us to continually make the choices every single day as you restore us and as you strengthen that commitment within us. Father, may the commitment of our lives bring strength into our lives and may that strength that's in our lives give you glory, we pray in Jesus' name. I want to remind you that this is a process. I want to remind you that there are successes and failures. And in the failures, we get up and keep going because the commitment has to be greater than our feelings. The commitment in our life has to be greater than the failures of our lives. And we have to engage and say, it doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter if I fail. I'm getting up and I'm keep going. Father, my life is about you. And while I may stumble, I do not give up. I'm hoping that the mantra of your life is for me to live is Christ. I want to encourage you guys get into a connection group. I want to encourage you to surround yourself with people that love and pray with you and encourage you. We all need that. If you're not in a small group, if you're not in a connection group, call the church office, email me, scan the QR code that is there, get connected to us so that we can get you connected to connection group leaders. Listen, this is so important for your lives, especially for the times that we live in. This is God's design for what it means to be a part of the church is to be a part of a small church. I saw a great shirt this week, and that is, had Jesus at the Last Supper table. You've seen that picture. And on the shirt it says, Jesus was in a small group. How about you? We all need a small group to belong to. If you don't belong to one, call us, email me. I would love to get you plugged in. I want to continue to say thank you guys for your financial gifts. Thank you for supporting the quest. Thank you for giving to the needs of your church. Each one of you that give, thank you so much. And if you don't give, I would encourage you to please pray and ask God. Maybe this is one of those areas of obedience. This is one of these steps that God is asking you. Maybe God is asking you to give to the quest and you haven't done that. And if God's asking you, I want to encourage you to do that because it will increase your commitment. I guarantee it. All right, thank you guys so much for being with us today. We're praying God's best for you. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.